covers books like Isaiah. Um, that's that second grouping. That's the prophets. And it's, you know, to give a really simplistic definition of what the prophets kind of contains is it's God speaking through his prophets to his people, you know, and uh, that's the most simple definition I can give right there. But it really follows those prophets quite happily through those books. And then we have this third section of the Hebrew Bible, which is called the writings. And some, some, by, uh, some books that are in there in the Hebrew Bible are Psalms and, 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 and uh, Ruth and Ecclesiastes, Ezra Nehemiah, which we're going to do next week. And Chronicles is also in there. It's in that third grouping. So first of all, it's not even in the same category as Samuel and Kings. It's in the writings. And it's actually the very last book. Chronicles is the last book of the writings, which is the third grouping in the Hebrew Bible. Chronicles is the conclusion to the whole Hebrew Bible. Maybe you never knew that. I certainly didn't. But it really, um, it really puts it into perspective because when we take a look at Chronicles and we take it, a look at it as the conclusion, it starts to breathe new life into it. Chronicles becomes, and I'm going to term this, it becomes kind of a, a sermon to the remnant of Judah. And so to catch us up on the story, because since this is the conclusion and we've kind of just gone into exile, spoiler alert, the Jews do end up coming out of exile at some point. Right. And so to catch us up on the story, they go into exile into Babylon and they're there for like 70 years. And eventually Persia comes and God uses the Persian to overthrow Babylon and the Jews come out of exile. Persian king, actually, God stirs his heart and he sends them back to Jerusalem to go build the temple. So here are these Jews coming out of exile 70 years. Most of them probably have never even seen Jerusalem at that point. And they go back and they have a role to rebuild the temple, to figure out who they were again, to resume duties. And rebuilding effort, you know, commences. And that's what Ezra and Nehemiah kind of covers. And so I won't touch too much on that. But um, Chronicles is written at some point during that rebuild effort or after we're not quite exactly sure on the date, but this author, we're going to call them the chronicler. Some think he's maybe Ezra, but um, there, there's some, so I'm just going to say it's the chronicler. <laughs> um, and the chronicler is writing this to the remnant of Judah because he's reminding them of their identity. Seven years is a long time to be away from home. It's a long time to be away from your duties. And so we're going to view Chronicles as we kind of take a look through, through these kind of three lenses. It's all about identity, but it's about their roots. It's about their role. And it's about their redemption. That's the purpose of Chronicles. And so just, there's no better way to start off a book uh, and, and really figure out your roots like nine chapters of genealogies, eh? Um, and if I had to maybe guess where someone would start a genealogy when you're looking back at, um, you know, the, the Jews' roots, you may think of starting with someone like, like Abraham, right? Covenants established with him, and, and we go from there. But the chronicler actually goes back to Adam. The whole book, the first word is Adam. 
And you cannot go much further back than that at, at all. <laughs> but I think there's kind of a twofold reason for this. I think not only is he establishing the deepest roots possible, but if you guys remember when we covered Genesis, Genesis 3.15, this is the first messianic promise. So he's giving them a glimpse of their roots and all the way back, he's giving them a glimpse of their redemption. Right through. This is when God was cursing the snake at the time. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That's Jesus. They knew this was a messianic hope, right? We know him as Jesus. <laughs> roots and redemption. So it goes through and it tracks all these genealogies and it weaves its way through, you know, all the, all the big ones. You know, Abraham's in there too. And, and eventually we get up all the way to the exiles. And it actually gives, you know, genealogies of the exiles, the people coming back to Jerusalem. And then it goes back to Saul real quick. We get Saul's genealogy repeated, and then we just get Saul's death. The chronicler's not that interested in Saul, and we'll see why, because he moves right to David. And we start getting all of these amazing stories of David in Chronicles. We don't find stories like Bathsheba in there. It's, it's a, just the good ones. David's mighty men, his many victories, him ordering the priesthood saying, you Levites, like, here are your roles as, as judges, right? As priests, as musicians, as gatekeepers. This was all stuff that was very like Moses-like, right? It was the, the priesthood. And this is one of the themes that we're going to start to, to notice as we go through Chronicles. Number one, it's very interested in the line of David, extremely interested in the line of David. It's very interested in priestly business. If, if Samuel and Kings were prophetic books, you could almost entail this one as kind of a priestly book, right? Because it's reminding them of their role. It's reminding them of their roots. They got deep roots and their role is a priestly nation from the line of David. And they will find their redemption in the line of David. So from here on out, that through line that we've been talking about that Toby mentioned, that's going to, we're going to follow that thing. We're going to follow that thing. <laughs> So we got all these good stories, and I, and I want to emphasize this. This is not whitewashing history. This is not like the chronicler was setting up all these good stories going, look how good David was. Um, far from it. He definitely knew that they could go and read Kings and find all of David's faults, his many faults. Um, but he truly was a man after God's own heart. And he's painting all these good stories for a purpose because he's building this image, this type for a Messiah. That's what he's doing with all these stories. And he's, and he's saying, hey, guys, our hope rests in someone that's going to be like David, but he's going to be better. He's going to be so much better. So we need to watch for him. And so in Chronicles, we get all these good stories. And in fact, the only bad story that it holds is the one where he takes this census and then he has to go. Uh, he essentially like uh, God is very angry with him. And. He pleads with God. He repents very quickly. And he, he says, Lord, take me. Like, don't, don't hurt these people. I am the one who sinned. And he goes and buys this land and he builds an altar there. And he gives a sacrifice to the Lord for appeasement. And the reason I think why that, um, why it's so important is because the, the land he ends up buying, where that altar is, is the temple goes there. And so these themes start arising, priestly, 
temple, line of David. These are all in an effort to remind them of their identity and their role, what they're supposed to be valuing, right? The people reading this book already know the, the story. They already know they come out of exile. They know what the kings do, right? And um, another thing that gets repeated here too, I, I think it's worth mentioning for sure, is they do repeat the um, covenant of David, right? Just as a reminder to themselves that, you know, David looks to God and he says, I'll build you a house. And he says, hold on, I'll, I will build you a house, <laughs> right? I will establish my throne through you. So it bears repeating in Chronicles, right? Because God takes that, that through line, that, that huge covenantal promise. And he just, he just blows it up and says, hey, I will establish my throne through your line. So watch for that, right? And then it continues on after David and it goes right into Solomon, right? If God said that he would establish his house through David, well, Solomon is the house builder, right? <laughs> Solomon builds the temple. And so we get um, this, the, these like measurements for the, the temple it's telling them how it should be furnished. It's all things. It's a very priestly book. Right? Remember, right? We're, we're there. The chronicler is trying to get what their role is. It's to take care of the temple. It's to obey God. And this is how we do it. This is how we serve God. This is how we remember God in these feasts and rituals and different things like that, that they were commanded to do. So Solomon builds the temple. And then we get these, um, this very kind of like Leviticus Deuteronomy blessing because Solomon builds a temple, he dedicates it and he blesses the people. And then the Lord comes down in fire and he fills the temple. And then the Lord says to Solomon, right? He says, hey, you know, if, if, if you guys repent, I will heal your land. And if you do these good things, then I will bless you as a nation. But if you do these bad things, then I will pluck this temple up i will destroy it and i will destroy jerusalem and you guys will go into exile and for the jews these were very familiar things like this was not the first time that these um like blessings and curses have been heard i mean i think we all have the benefit of the doubt from doing this series this was like leviticus and deuteronomy they went up to those mountains remember they go and stand on the mountains they shout the blessings the blessings and they shout the curses this is all echoes of that and it's repeated here. And so eventually we move on from Solomon and we know that the kingdom splits. But we are not interested in the northern kingdom for Chronicles. We purely follow the southern kingdoms in Chronicles. Once again, because it's that line of David. In fact, the only time I think that the northern kingdoms are really mentioned is as like a time stamp. Or if the northern king came and actually attacked them. <laughs> um but it's just like in the days of Jeroboam or something like that. And, and some themes we start to pull out once again are, you know, kings that do good are kings that are ridding the temple of idols. They're taking down temples and they're reordering the priests after the bad kings have come in, filled the temple with idols, put idols up on the hills and have dispersed the Levites from doing their Levitical duties, their priestly duties. Right. It's so heavy, the themes in these books of, of, of roots, of role, of redemption. And we notice that there are even some great stories of, of priests, you know, being heroes in these books, too. Um, there's one point where um, there's a queen and once her son dies, 
she just kills the whole royal line. And you think, oh my gosh, like that's it for the line of David. But the priest, I think it's the high priest's wife, actually steals Joash away. One of the youngest members of the line of David. She hides him with her husband for six years. And on the seventh year, right, the, the high priest makes covenants with all these military leaders. He's like, all right, guys, it's go time. And he marches up to where? The temple. <laughs> the temple. He go, You'd think, oh, maybe they're going to go to overthrow the queen. No, they go make a pit stop at the temple first. And he starts ordering the priests. He, he gathers all the Levites from the surrounding lands and he starts ordering them. He gives them their roles back. Then they go overthrow the queen and they establish the line of David on the throne again. Like God is so faithful in these books. Yeah. Like for, for a people who are so unfaithful, it just reeks of divine faithfulness yeah. all through this book. And his people are to be people that are faithful to him, to be a priesthood. But eventually... Um, I mean, eventually we all kind of have been through these stories and we know how this ends. We know that, you know, it goes good king, bad king, good king, bad king, bad king, bad king, good king, bad king, bad king, bad king. And eventually there are a bunch of bad kings. And finally, Judah chooses exile. They knew the promises and they knew the consequences for this and they choose exile. And God uses Babylon to come down, destroys the temple destroys Jerusalem, destroys the walls, and carries them off into exile. And the language that's used in Chronicles is it, it, the land had Sabbath for mm -hmm. 70 years. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's straight out of Leviticus. That's, Jeremiah even says it too. This Sabbath, the land will have Sabbath. Chronicles is a, it's a rally cry for the Messiah mm -hmm. and a reminder of identity, of who they are, to hold hope for the Messiah and don't make the mistakes of the past like the unfaithful kings, but live obediently to God. So that's Chronicles kind of in a nutshell. And Chronicles is then and, and we're now and the Messiah did come, right? Right from the line of David, Jesus came. But remembering our identity is still of utmost importance. If we know who we are in relation to God, then we know how to respond to the world. We know how to respond to its challenges. We know what our role is. And God is the only self-identifying thing in existence, right? When it, God describes himself as I am, no one else can do that, right? We define ourselves with other things that need definition. God does not. And when we define ourselves in relation to him, we discover our place, our responsibility, and our value. And if we define ourselves apart from God, it's, it's worthless. We have no anchor. We have no true north anymore. And we will sway as the culture sways us. As our heart tugs us in different directions to different idols, we'll find ourselves absolutely lost. Just like we see the Israelites, right? It's just, it's just a mirror for ourselves. You know, we often look, I, I mean, I often look at them and say, how could they possibly do that? And it's like, yeah, I need to check my own heart. Like, I, this happens to me all the time. So here's the cool thing. 
on the side, on the other side of Jesus. Like, what does this mean for us today? How do we, how do we identify ourselves? You know, they had a role. It was a, it was a priestly role. They had a lot of ritual, a lot of sacrifice, a lot of things to do to, to build a physical temple to follow God. That was what obedience looked like. But what does that look like after Jesus? And what did Jesus do with all that? Well, we're going to look through it at the, using the lens of roots, of role, and of redemption. When Jesus came, like he came from the line of David, he had those rich roots that were a part of the covenant. I mean, he was God. <laughs> I'm going to be saying that often. I mean, he, he was God, but he came as a man with those roots, a part of those covenanted people that were chosen by God. He had those. And what did he do for us? Well, the Bible uses language like he grafted us in. Adoption is used in like Ephesians 1.5, right? We are adopted sons and daughters. So he took what was outside the family and he brought it in. Right? We are now a spiritual heritage. He made what was physical, bloodlines, a people, a chosen people that he chose. And he made this a spiritual heritage that we could all have. That's a brilliant thing. It's an incredible thing to remember. What about our role? Well, Jesus' role when he came, he was a prophet, right? He was a prophet, he was a priest, he was a sacrifice, he was the temple. So he was a prophet, number one, he spoke with the word of God. He was God, right? He was a priest because he prepared the sacrifice, didn't he? And he marched that sacrifice right up to that hill and he died for us. Perfect. And you know how he described and foretold his death? Is he said, I'll destroy the temple and I will raise it again in three days. Everyone thought he was talking about the physical temple, (laughs) And meanwhile, this guy's playing 4D chess. <laughs> this guy's on another level. Jesus is talking about himself. He's talking about himself. He certainly did make a dent on the temple when he ripped the curtain open. But he was talking about himself. And so our role is still a priestly one. Remember, but, but instead of bringing literal sacrifices... Right, we, we get this language in like First Peter and Romans. We are we are now living sacrifices. The temple is in us, right? Second Corinthians says that we are the living temple. We're the living temple. Here, let me just read some of this. Like First Peter two, five and, and, and nine has this language here. Here. You, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And again in verse 9 here. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He took what was physical and he made it a spiritual thing. So for us, what, what temple building looks like is building the church. Right? If the temple is us, a living temple now, living sacrifice, no more sacrifices in temples made out of destructible things. These are living things made of spirit is how he describes it. This is an incredible gift. So now we offer our, ourselves, our lives as living sacrifices, living temples, and 
temple building looks like church building. It looks like going out to all the nations and preaching the gospel and making disciples of all nations. That's temple building. That's building the spiritual house that was talked about there. Romans 12.1, I think is also worth just reading. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves Present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It's incredible. We're, we're grafted in through the spiritual. God, God, God makes this living, spirit-filled thing. He transforms our roots. He grafts us in, and our role remains the same. It remains the same. It's temple building. But now it's for the living God. <laughs> And what about our redemption? Well, when Jesus came, right, and he, he died on that cross and he ascended to heaven, to the right hand of God, and he sits enthroned on high, King Jesus. The Jews were waiting for a, a physical Messiah, right? And they got him in Jesus. Well, guess what, guys? <laughs> Who are we waiting for? We're also waiting for King Jesus to come. But now we're waiting for him to come in all his glory, an imperishable body, all his glory on, on the, coming on the clouds is some of the languages often used, right? So this we have much in common, right, with the Jews. We are still waiting for Jesus. We're just waiting for his second coming now and not his first coming. And he will come in all his glory. And the hope that we have is an Im imperishable one. We are made of imperishable seed, Right. Yeah, this is just incredible stuff. And it's just, it's all over the New Testament how, how these physical representations of all this stuff are found in the Old Testament. And they're not meant to be like thrown away. And we just look at the New Testament. It's like, oh, we have a brand new thing going on here. Absolutely not. Those are all images of the spiritual thing through faith that we were meant to have. And it, yeah, it's just incredible. And so... As I finish up here, if, if, uh, if Chronicles is the sermon for the remnant of Judah about its identity, um, then I'm just going to rip off its commission, really. Um, I think it's only fair. Um, I'm just going to read this. I'm just going to read the last, uh, the last little bit, how it ends here. So yeah, they do. All right, here we go. It's Second Chronicles 36, and it's just the end here from verse 22. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. And he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. Let him go up. Let him go up to build the temple was the commission of Chronicles. To a people who were exiled, they were rebuilding the temple. Let him go up. For us, what does that look like? Matthew 28, let us go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. It's the Great Commission. 
Guys, we're still temple building. <laughs> we're still church building. Hey, it just looks a little bit different, doesn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, so um, the, the songs that we sung, at least at the, at the waypoint today, man, it just, it, in light of, um, in light of it being Palm Sunday, in light of it being Easter um, coming up, it, it was just a, um, yeah, this is a, a remarkable book to look at as it kind of foretells of the Messiah, that hope that we have and us sitting on the other side of, of the first coming of the Messiah. And so um, I just pray as a church that the next time that we look at Chronicles, we can kind of look at it with new eyes to ever come across it again. And um, the commission is so great. Let it, let us go up. And that's our word for today. Let us go up. Let's go out into the world guys. So uh, <laughs> that's a look at Chronicles. And I, and I can't wait to uh, who's doing Ezra and Nehemiah next week. Does anyone know? No, no. You would do it. I'm doing it now. Okay, okay. Well, awesome. Okay, okay. It's someone. It's someone. But yeah. Awesome. Well, that that's that's all I have for you here. But let's um let's maybe just close in prayer here. Uh, I think that's that's great. So, God, we just um we come before you today and um just so thankful lord god that you have grafted us into your family lord god you've given us this spiritual heritage that cannot be taken away from us lord you've given us a role which has remained a priestly nation to be obedient to you lord god and we thank you for the opportunity to serve you lord we thank you that even today we are still temple building we are still building your church and we just uh, ask that we would be people that recognize the task at hand and that we are people that boldly go into the world proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ, Lord God, and the hope that lies in you, Lord God, and the hope that is coming in the future, Lord God, when, when you come in your full glory, when you come and we have hope for new Jerusalem, new heavens and earth, Lord God, for new bodies, living bodies of living spirit, Lord God, and that we could live and serve you forever. So, Lord God, we just um, we thank you for this awesome gift. And we just ask that as we go about our weeks, getting ready for Good Friday and Easter, Lord God, that we would just contemplate these things, mm-hmm. contemplate the, the amazing work you did on the cross, Lord God, in taking all of our sin for all time, that we no longer live with the law over us, but with grace abounding, mercy abounding, mm-hmm. that we may live out of that place, Lord God, loving others, through faith in your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you so much, Lord Jesus, for this awesome gift. Thank you for the words you have for us today. And we just ask that we would just live obediently to you, <laughs> living sacrifices. In your name we pray, amen. 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 Go in peace, everyone. Yeah.